going on, everybody? Welcome into the first post-win Eagles Enemies episode of the 2022 season. Eagles Enemies, obviously, always presented by Underground Sports Philadelphia. I'm your host, Kyle Bennett. Eagles coming off a big win against the Detroit Lions, squeaked by in that one, uh, beating the Lions 38-35. Jalen Hurts looked great. A.J. Brown looked phenomenal. And uh, now the Eagles are getting set for their 2022 home opener on Monday Night Football against the Minnesota Vikings, a team we have come to have quite some history with as Eagles fans over the past five or so years. Uh, And there's no better way to enjoy Vikings week than with my good friend Arif Hassan from The Athletic Minnesota. He covers the Vikings over there. So make sure you're checking everything out that Arif is doing for The Athletic. Listen to his podcast, uh, Norse Code, and he's on the Locked On Podcast Network as well with Minnesota Sports. And uh, this Eagles game is going to be a doozy. So we're going to chop it up with Arif in just a little bit. But make sure you guys are following us on the socials at UndergroundPHI on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. Subscribe to the podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Underground Sports Philadelphia, and you'll be able to get every single episode of Eagles Enemies in that podcast feed all throughout the season. And, of course, subscribe to the Underground Sports Philadelphia YouTube channel. You get full video episodes of Eagles Enemies all season long. Video form of Eagles Enemies is now live for Season 5. And uh, very first time, Arif will be in video form for the people. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Smash that like button. Ring the bell icon so you don't miss a single second of the content. Comment down below your thoughts on this matchup. And uh, without any further ado, here is myself and Arif Hassan breaking down Eagles Vikings for Eagles Enemies. Season 5, Episode 5. Let's get into it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. The Eagles get a big W week one against the Hard Knocks hyped up Detroit Lions, and we are back for the home opener, Monday Night Football on ESPN. And there's no better way to talk about a matchup with the Minnesota Vikings than with my good friend Arif Hassan from The Athletic. Arif, welcome back to the show. And uh, I think there's only one way to start this episode of Eagles Enemies than with me claiming you were correct about one Carson Wentz. <laughs> it's been a two-year victory lap for me, so I'm really glad that uh, that we've been able to acknowledge it. And finally, together, the two of us can cheer against him, right? Absolutely. He's on a, he's in enemy territory now. And, yeah, you're uh, obligated. We, we see him next week at FedEx Field and hopefully no... Uh, guardrails fall down like they did last year while they try to sabotage Jalen Hurts but uh you were completely correct about Carson Wentz and he's an egomaniac and uh (laughs) no longer our quarterback all right uh well I guess uh I guess I'll have to wait until next week but uh let's keep this one in reserve go birds there we go uh so the Minnesota Vikings they get a big W last week against the Green Bay Packers uh and obviously chomping at the bit were those defensive players from the Minnesota Vikings, you wrote about it in the uh, for the Athletic, you know, with their pass rush coming up big against Aaron Rodgers. A lot of defensive improvements for this Vikings team over the offseason. Now with an offensive-minded head coach, what impressed you the most last week about this Vikings defense that, you know, got some upgrades and, you know, some new life into it over the offseason? 
uh, how versatile they appear to be, you know, which is going to be important because it's going to be an entirely different, you know, offensive challenge for them to, to for them to face. But, um, you know, their ability to kind of, you know, put defenders in basically every position to have somebody who one snap is lined up as one technique at the nose tackle. And then the next snap is lined up as a six technique as an outside defensive end, you know, having that capability um, while also, you know, mixing in with different fronts, they had a penny front, they had a dime front. We might see, um, if Lucene is healthy, we might see some, you know, additional safeties on the field against Philadelphia. Um, certainly there's all kinds of approaches that they've been able to take based on down and distance and personnel and whatever, what have you, so that they can have a variety of, of answers to various problems. And obviously new coach uh, in the fold for the Vikings this year, moving on from Mike Zimmer in the off season. What impressed you about, you know, this new coaching staff and, you know, what they were able to kind of accomplish against obviously a heated rival in the mm-hmm. in the Green Bay Packers and kind of just come out and continue this Minnesota Vikings hype train that I feel like three teams this offseason have really gained like that darling status of the media mm-hmm. and it's the Vikings, the Eagles and always the the uh, Los Angeles Chargers who everybody loves year in and year out and somehow always fail to make the playoffs. Um, but what were your, you know, initial takes from game 1? from Kevin O'Connell? Uh, well, I thought that, you know, there were a lot of things that he did well. Um, you know, some things that he could have improved on. I think that the uh, second, fourth down, a fourth and two um, that he could have gone for, he chose not to. That probably would have, you know, raised his status among, you know, the analytic types. And uh, there was like a missed challenge here that that actually the, the one where he went forward and fourth and one, I think he should have challenged on third down, decided not to. Um, you know, just very small things from a game management perspective. They've hired someone specifically to provide them with live in-game game management feedback. So I, I want I want to know kind of how that process is going. But for the most part, it that element was impressive to me because when you see a lot of these coaches, this happened to Mike Zimmer too in 2014, you see a lot of these coaches who are play callers that are now becoming head coaches for the first time and are dealing with the multitude of factors that, you know, a play caller doesn't have to deal with. And then on top of that, you're calling plays, right? Uh, the ability to kind of keep the game going and, and making sure that, you know, everybody was on kind of the same page and having to call timeouts because you didn't get the call in in time, um, not having to uh, panic at any moment and kind of shift strategies because you just weren't paying enough attention to this one particular area of, of coaching that you need to pay attention to. Just kind of always being on task and finding ways to resolve um, a lot of the um, a lot of the problems that might come with being a first time head coach. I thought that, you know, just it came out of the uh, came out of the gate swinging, which was really nice to see. Now there was a you know a trade involving the Eagles and the Vikings right leading into the season, and uh, it involved a wide receiver that I think more people couldn't stand than they couldn't stand Carson Wentz, and that's Jalen Rager. Uh, do you think he's going to be a key contributor to this Vikings team? I think there's some sick twisted irony that he and Justin Jefferson are right. teammates now, uh, and for a small stint, DK Metcalf and JJ Ortega Whiteside were teammates with the Seahawks right. before they realized he can't play football. Um, but what are your thoughts on uh, Jalen Rager in this Vikings offense, and you know, as a punt returner, kick returner uh, type of player for this team? Yeah, I think that if uh, if he sees the field offensively, it won't be because the Vikings will, you know, kind of want him given an opportunity for revenge or anything like that. I think he'll have earned it from just being, you know, the fourth best receiver. The Vikings, when they did go three receiver, only played three receivers last week. And so we didn't actually see much of the depth there, but they only have five receivers on the roster. And, and in my mind, one of them, uh, the other Jalen, Jalen Naylor is basically a special teams only guy. So it didn't really surprise me, but um, as he learns more of the playbook, you know, we might see more of him on the field, maybe only four or five snaps or something like that. 
And in that capacity, if he ends up becoming kind of a big part of the story of this game, that's probably catastrophic for the Eagles. Um, un unless, you know, we, we see some mistakes like he did with the Eagles, like, you know, a muffed punt, right? Then that could be, you know, a, a story that would benefit the Eagles. But for the most part, it very much seems like um, the kind of player that he is and the way that he's approached um, kind of the whole saga surrounding Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager, you know, the pick with the Eagles has been nothing but positive. Again, you know, we don't really have it. Like if the season goes sour, like how does his attitude change? I don't know. But, um, you know, my understanding is that, you know, I was just talking to Bo Wolf, uh, the Eagles writer at The Athletic. It sounded like, you know, unquestionably Jalen Rager had his best training camp um, so far, right? Uh, entering this one before he got traded. And, um, you know, he had a lot of major life events, um, you know, happen to him this year that, that really refocused him. And I think you can tell when interacting with him that, you know, even though I didn't know who the person he was before, he kind of wants to distance himself from that person that he wants to approach it with a level of seriousness he hadn't. Um, and so, you know, from and that from that perspective, I'm definitely rooting for him. I know that he had a bunch of bad interactions with fans, that he wasn't that great in the locker room. Um, and it sounded like, you know, hey, this is kind of like a weird litmus test, but you're going to be in the same locker room as Justin Jefferson is taking a pick after you. You know, obviously he can't control that somebody who's on the trajectory to be in the Hall of Fame was picked right after him. Like, that's not his fault, right? Um, and so how he kind of approaches that is – is interesting and, and he viewed it kind of as as sort of this like divine blessing this kind of faith but which is you know however you want to do it right you know so as long as you can you take something and turn it to a positive um and so uh it very much seems like you know this might be kind of one of those win-win-win scenarios where the eagles get something out of it the vikings get out something out of it and jalen rager get something out of it looking at uh you know this vikings offense there's a bunch of weapons obviously you know from dalvin cook to justin jefferson adam thielen uh, and then you have Kirk Cousins, or as I like to call him, Kirk Coupons. Um, you know, he's 2-9 and nine on Monday Night Football in his career, which is the worst mark uh, of active NFL quarterbacks on Monday Night Football. Um, so that's an interesting take there uh, yeah. going into Week 2. But also, the Eagles since 2016 have not won a Week 2 game, so something's got to give there. Um, <laughs> it's just fantastic scheduling by the wow. NFL. Wow, Um the offensive line for this Vikings team, what are your expectations for them as they face this Eagles defensive line that hopefully Jonathan Gannon takes some advice from Twitter and realizes that you moved up in the draft to take a 300-pound refrigerator known as Jordan Davis to stuff the run uh, and plays him more, but the Eagles defensive line versus the Vikings offensive line, what are some things you're looking for there uh, in that matchup that I think is going to be a, a big key to this game? Well, uh, to... To, to pick something famous in Philadelphia lore, I'll, I'll quote Rocky, prediction, pain. This is not going to be good for the Vikings, I don't think. Um, <laughs> this, 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 the, the offensive line, defensive line matchup massively favors, especially along the interior of the Eagles. And, you know, obviously it depends on how much they want to play Jordan Davis, but I, I just don't anticipate a Jordan Davis, Garrett Bradbury matchup going well, you know, for the Vikings. I, I, I think that that, that, it spells disaster. Not that, you know, like Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox are easy matchups or anything like that. But, you know, when, you, when you've when you got somebody like Jordan Davis who played as well as he did in week one against a much better front, much better interior front for sure, Detroit, um, that, you know, you should take advantage of some of these opportunities when they when they show up. And so, um, you know, that's going to be the biggest, like out of all the matchups here, right? Like I'm confident, for example, that Justin Jefferson is going to, you know, get his. I'm confident, you know, that Dalvin Cook will find ways to create some space. I'm confident that, you know, Daniel Hunter will will have, you know, an opportunity to, to, to make some waves against Jordan Mylotta. But, you know, of all the matchups that, that worry me, um, 
it's this one, right? It's it's uh, this might be the biggest mismatch on either side. It's you know the Eagles' defensive interior line versus the Vikings' offensive interior line. Ed Ingram didn't have a very good game against the Packers either, and it just so happens, you know, that the Vikings are going up against you know a great nose tackle after great nose tackle after great nose tackle early in in the season, right? And after uh, after you know the Eagles, it's the Lions, and after the Lions, it's uh, uh, the Bears, I think, who who've think always so. found uh, who've always found a way to to generate you know great great nose tackles. Um, so that'll be tough until they, they finally go to London and, and face kind of a lighter front. So, um, it, it that's going to be kind of the biggest area that they're going to test over the coming weeks. And I think this is, um, I'm, I'm not going to say it's the biggest test out of all of them. In fact, out of the three weeks, the, the Eagles interior might be the, the least worst matchup just because of how rarely they, they seem to want to play Jordan Davis. Uh, but Kenny Clark is one of the two best nose tackles in the NFL and, and the Eagle and, and the lions have, an insanely good run stopping front. So it's no insult to Jordan Davis or the Eagles to say that this is kind of maybe third on that test, but I expect it'll be a disaster at points because of, because of how good that front is. And you know, if, if the interior of this Vikings offensive line can somehow create time for Kirk Cousins to get the ball out to, you know, those wide receivers on the outside, what are your, your thoughts on just the matchups knowing that, you know, now the Eagles actually have two formidable corners for the first time since like 2004 um, with, you know, Darius Slay on one side, James Bradbury on the other. Bradbury obviously had the pick six against the Vikings. And then safety-wise, C.J. Gardner-Johnson is back there for the Eagles now and Marcus Epps. So a formidable secondary going up against a, a really talented wide receiver group as well. Yeah, Marcus Epps, that one still burns me, man. I, I liked him a lot in camp. I can't believe they did that. Uh, He's great. But... He's really turned yeah. into – like, he went from – viscerally like get him off the field a couple years ago to turning into just like a very solid startable player he was he was like the second safety at wyoming right because andrew yeah. Wizard was the was the one that everybody liked <laughs> that was <just> crazy <laughs> but uh yeah no it, it's a very good secondary the thing is um you know i was i was asked this the other day like hey is there any corner that you would trust could um lock up justin jefferson one-on-one -on -one, right and and lock up you know maybe they give up like 30 yards or something like that and um, historically, there are, right? Darrell Rebus, 2009, for sure. Richard Sherman, 2013, for sure. Um, Patrick Peterson, you know, during when he wasn't playing for the Vikings, essentially, <laughs> for sure. Um, uh, yeah, there are definitely corners that Champ Bailey, right? You know, for sure, right? A at their peaks. I don't know that there is a corner in the NFL that's playing at that level right now, right? After, after Jalen Ramsey started looking a little bit more mortal, I don't know that there is one. Right. And so, um, you know, you're not going to get 180 yards every single game for Jefferson, but certainly, you know, he's always at risk to get 100. Right. And and that's terrifying, I think. So um, I, I think that this is going to be one of the better secondaries that they play again for the next couple of weeks, especially now that the Saints are weakened by having lost, you know, CJ Gardner Johnson, uh, <laughs> of all things. You know, it's going to be a while since they, they, they face a secondary that's good. In fact, the Packers secondary is probably the only one that was kind of intimidating on the schedule, and they still were able to get, you know, a couple of yards there. So um, I, I expect that this is going to be kind of the most difficult one for uh, for Jefferson, but I still think that he'll, you know, be be a good risk of getting 100-plus. And then Adam Thielen only got like three four targets against the Packers, and K.J. Osborne, who I think a lot of people are sleeping on, is potentially just as good as Thielen right now. Sorry. Uh, he, he only got like three or four targets. And, and so I think all of these receivers – uh, well, well, whoever's in the slot against CJ Gardner Johnson might have a little bit more difficulty, but I think all of these receivers will find ways to get theirs, especially because the Eagles, um, they trust that secondary a lot. 
<laughs> it's, it's so a, weird and so frustrating. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, there's a, the, the zones that they're being tasked with to carry are enormous, right? Because it's a lot of like we, we're, we're playing a zone beneath the, these five rushers, right? And so they're taking a guy out of coverage a lot. Uh, and I don't know if there's any like for the skill set of attacking a specific zone or finding areas in a zone. This is the group of receivers I would take. Like if it, if we were talking about man to man coverage, I might take the Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle group in uh, Cedric Wilson in Miami, right? Just because of the way they match up man to man and their specific and unique skill sets. But in terms of attacking zones and destroying kind of the seams and breaking them open, or 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 flooding zones or baiting receivers to get or baiting corners to get out of their zone. I mean, this is a remarkable group. Plus, an offensive mind that whose sole job has been over the past couple of years to break zone defenses. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I, everything's like a matchup zone, so it's not like quite the same thing. But I would expect that this is going to be pretty challenging for the Eagles secondary. And uh, because Cousins is fine against the blitz, uh, it's it's when pressure actually arrives that he becomes a problem. But just blitzing itself, he's fine. Um, I would suggest to the Eagles to to cool it a little bit and play four person front a little bit more often, which you know would take Jordan Davis off the field, but maybe figure out a way to make that work. I think that wouldn't be too hard. Um, but you know, figure out a way to just rush four and have a secondary just willing to kind of crowd coverages and make things a little bit difficult for Cousins to read. Because the key to getting pressure on Cousins is not to send more pressure; it's to make him wait. Right to make that pocket last a long time, the best way to do that is to have people in coverage. So that's probably the best way to do it. But I still think Jefferson's going to eat. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, if if any team out there, maybe even the Broncos, want to reconsider their head coaching hiring this past off season and go with the guy they turned away, known as Jonathan Gannon, and just want to hire him now, totally fine with that. Because <laughs> my goodness, it is it is one of the most mind boggling things how he just fails to. Uh, make adjustments in-game, and I just don't understand how he's getting all this hype to be a, a future head coach as soon as next season. It was getting interviews this past offseason. I was like, take him. Take him away. He was, he was a go. dark horse candidate for the Vikings, actually. He yeah. Was like, he was on that list, yeah. It's it's mind-blowing that you give him all this talent now this offseason, he still doesn't know how to use it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Jared Goff doesn't, isn't supposed to put up oh. the <laughs> Opening play of 2022 here. Let DeAndre Swift run 51 yards all over you. <laughs> genius. Absolute genius. Um, I think one of the the more interesting pickups for the Vikings this offseason was going and getting Zadarius. I think that was a huge pickup. Um, what did you take away from just his Vikings debut against his former team? And then what are your expectations for what he's going to bring to the table You know, for the rest of the season for this defense? My dude was amped up. Good lord! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, the the Vikings have always had some level of incredibly vocal personality on their defense, like uh, like at a unique way, from like John Randall to Jared Allen to Everson Griffin, and now it seems like Zadarius Smith is like filling that role. They're all different kinds and amounts of uh, unhinged, I guess you know, to use maybe an insensitive word, but. Um, just, just a lot of, a lot of energy that they're bringing onto the field. And, you know, Smith very much has kind of stepped into that role of, you know, providing that kind of energy. It's not the same thing as leadership. You know, I, I want like Everson Griffin brought a ton of energy. I would not have described him as necessarily a locker room leader, maybe a tone setter. Right. But, you know, Jared Allen was a leader. 
right? And and it seems like Zadarius Smith seems to be able to provide both of those elements. You know, that's kind of the, the soft and tangible stuff. In terms of what he provides on the field, it actually uh, fills a hole that I think um, was left by Anthony Barr's departure. And and by that, I mean, of course, they're playing completely different positions. I don't want to suggest that a 3-4 outside linebacker is the same as an inside linebacker, but rather the ability to kind of move around the formation and create um, opportunities for everybody else to get one-on-one matchups because of their threat to rush from any angle, um, even though Anthony Barr did not actually blitz as often as people seem to think. Um, and Darius Smith is always rushing, right? You know, as that is his primary responsibility. Um, his movement ability to play, you know, opposite the center, opposite the guard, opposite the tackle, opposite the tight end, uh, at baiting running backs into, into changing their protections and stuff like that enables other people to get, you know, the pressures that, they, that they're going to get, which um, was interesting because he was a pressure leader in 2019. Typically that role does not always get you a ton of pressures. It just helps other people out. But, you know, he was able to get pressure. He was able to get a sack in this game. Um, and and his his strength is extraordinary. There's a, like one of the first snaps of the game. Um, he takes, um, who was playing guard? Jake Hansen is like the backup guard for the Packers. Um, and just like takes him by the collar and just shoves him into, into Aaron Rodgers. It was just a, a remarkable way to begin the game. Uh, and, uh, I, I suspect that'll be a little bit harder against the Eagles. Um, I'm just going to put that out there, <laughs> but it's, there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of versatility that he brings that that's going to make it really difficult for offenses to, to set protections. I mean, he was kind of washed out a little bit in the run game against the Packers. That is important to note. And, um, the Eagles, I suspect will, will want to take advantage of being able to run to the outside. That seems to be something that they're uniquely good at in the NFL right now. Um, but as a pass rusher, I mean, he's been fantastic. Two-parter here, because uh, I think think since the last time you were on the show, Patrick Peterson was still in Arizona. Um, so I wanted to get your take, you know, as a member of the media and everything, what's it like covering a player who has his own platform, like Patrick Peterson has his podcast that he does, uh, and, you know, how do you guys in the media kind of dissect that in a way to kind of, you know, take away anything he may mention on that podcast per se. And then how do you view him in this matchup, whether he lines up against AJ Brown, who had uh, a record breaking day in Eagles franchise history last week, or Devonte Smith, who was shut out of the game and didn't have a single reception. Weird. Just weird. So strange. <laughs> um, so to that first question, um, there are just some members of the media that will listen to every episode of that podcast. I'm not one of them just because my um, the way I handle my beat is just a little bit different because, um, you know, we have somebody at the athletic on the Vikings um, who does a lot of the newsier day to day stuff that wants to cover kind of, um, you know, like transactions and and uh, and and make sure that every presser is covered, make sure that every statement from every player is covered. Really important journalism that I'm just not good at. Um, and, and, uh, you know, like what journalists do. Yeah. That, right. Uh, we just have but, the lowercase J. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and for me, a lot of it is, you know, trying to, to break down film and anticipate what's going to happen or explain what's already happened and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, Peterson doesn't discuss that very much on the podcast. So I don't listen to the podcast very much. It's really fast. It's a really good podcast. Like I've heard a lot of player podcasts. I don't think anything can beat um, Hawkins and Joe Thomas. That was yeah, phenomenal. They were great. Um, I think uh, Will Compton and Taylor Lewan do a great job together. Too. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if I would put Peterson's podcast all the way up there, but it's up there. It's like a good player podcast. There's like a bunch of bad ones out there, right? Which is fine. You know, the reason that we have the, 
the jobs that we do is because we've cultivated this particular skill set and they have the jobs that they do because they've cultivated a far more valuable one. Uh, and so if they could just not be good at podcasts, I'm very comfortable with that. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, but his is pretty good. I just, I don't have uh, very much time to, to do that while I'm trying to like watch, you know, the QB school and, and learning about quarterbacking from JT O'Sullivan or, or watch, um, or read like Brandon Thorne stuff, you know, over at, over at trench warfare and learning about kind of offensive line play. Like it's, it's, it's how I devote my time and, uh, if you're doing kind of the more traditional journalism stuff, it makes a lot of sense to be listening to his podcast. So I don't do that. Other journalists do. Sometimes he'll say some stuff that's worth bringing up. They'll bring it up in pressers. And I'm, that's when I learn about it. So that's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> um, and, 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 and it doesn't really ever conflict. It just kind of adds to the, the media environment. It adds things to cover. It adds things to um, storylines. It brings in new storylines. It's never something where we, we feel like, ah, we got scooped by his own podcast which I believe did technically happen once, but it's just like not that um, competitive in that way. Uh, as for um, kind of how they'll handle the the Eagles receiving group, uh, we have no information yet because they covered a bunch of backups, right? Like the, the, to be harsh as possible to the, the Green Bay receiving core, you know, they were out Alan Lazard in that game. So they were left with, you know, Sammy Watkins and Romeo Dubs and Christian Watson and Randall Cobb and, after Christian Watson dropped that first pass, you know, Rodgers wasn't even going to look at him. In fact, he he looked at him twice. Watson was wide open against Peterson, which doesn't say a lot about Peterson. Um, but he was, he was open twice and Rodgers like just declined to throw it. It's just like, well, OK, um, that makes that's going to make your numbers look great. He's not going on the ayahuasca trip next week. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, we're we're not road tripping to open any chakras until you figure <laughs> out how to catch the ball. Your ticket to Peru is canceled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Miles Teller sold your room in the Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> these these personalized tarot cards out. <laughs> Tattoo appointment canceled. <laughs> But yeah, until until Christian Watson can can earn back the the trust of Aaron Rodgers, which I don't know if you saw any of the quotes about Amari Rodgers today, but it sounds like Amari Rodgers has not done that either yet. Um, it's not going to be a comparable situation to be able to go up against somebody like Devontae Smith, who had a really phenomenal year last year, or AJ Brown, who is just a very good receiver, right? Like I just uh, I I can't really tell based off of what's happened thus far. Um, especially because the the closest thing we have to that is the joint practices the the Vikings had against the 49ers. Just Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel were just different types of receivers, right? Like the fact that Patrick Peterson didn't have the ability to, to handle Brandon Ayuk very well tells me very little about how his ability to handle AJ Brown will go. So um, I expect that the Vikings will continue to play in the Fangio Staley style. I think that they're more likely going to play sides instead of following anybody around because I think that if you overfocus on somebody like AJ Brown because Devontae Smith didn't have any receptions, uh, whatever you're just going to get burned by Devonte Smith, right? Like I, that doesn't tell me anything about Smith. I, I expect him to continue to be a high level receiver. So um, I think that they'll, you know, maybe rotate some coverages to put a little bit more emphasis on covering Brown. But I think that for the most part, they're going to be a matchup zone defense. It's going to play quarter, quarter, half or, um, or threes or quarter. I mean, they play a bunch of different coverages. They look like they come out of too high every snap. They'll play a bunch of different zones, and I, I expect that to continue without a particular emphasis on matchups. And I think that for the most part, they will primarily be concerned about making Jalen Hurts throw it all as opposed to run, because even though Hurts seemingly has improved as a passer, I still am more comfortable with him throwing the ball than running. 
Yeah, and that kind of leads into my next question. Vikings defense matching up against a mobile Jalen Hurts last week. For some ungodforsaken reason, he ran 17 times, um, leading the team in rushing attempts, which is just crazy. Uh, but knowing what that he last year, like, what, how many how many rushes did running backs have last year, man? I it was it's like it, it felt like the season from last year just continued when I saw the NFL tweet saying the Eagles racked up over 200 yards on the ground to beat the Vi- uh, beat the Lions, and I said, oh, here we go again. Um, <laughs> Our quarterback should not be running 17 times a game. His name's not Lamar Jackson. Um, but Dude, I, no, I, I drafted him on my teams, man. Keep it, keep it up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great when it works, and it, it helped us win that game. But throughout a duration of a 17 game season, I don't want to see Jalen Hurts, you know, averaging, you know, 17 attempts a game when he can still throw the ball down the field, as proven when he got the ball. 155 yards worth to AJ Brown the entire game. Um, but knowing that he has that ability to run, kind of extend plays, how does that kind of match up with what the Vikings defense is able to do? And how do you think they'll approach Jalen Hurts knowing that he is multifaceted? Well, I think part of that is um, with like, I think nine of his 17 attempts or something like that were scrambles. So there is that, right? Like that's part of it. Um, the rest, of course, were designed in some way, whether it was a, a direct quarterback run or, or an option, which is kind of what I saw that more of. Um, yeah, I, I think that they're going to have to change their rush plan significantly because against the Packers, they were really comfortable with a wide variety of attack angles, you know, spinning and twisting and having all kinds of stunts or attacking with, you know, two guys on one side of the line really out wide to to, to, to kind of mix things up. And if you do that, you create a bunch of rush lanes, which Aaron Rodgers said after the game. Right. Like I, I should have taken some of those. I didn't, you know, I should have, I should have scrambled for a little bit. Um, that's you know, I, I bet we're not going to hear Jalen Hurts say that for a while. Right. And so uh, if you create rush lane opportunities and the receivers are covered, I mean, he's just going to go cause he can get 15 yards on one of those. Right. And, and when you're young and not beat up, you don't really think like, I'm going to, I'm going to hear about this three years from now when my body creaks, you just think I need a first down. Right. And so um, in in this game, you know, the Vikings need to make sure that they're much more disciplined in the run lanes than they were against the Packers because it didn't matter against the Packers. Um, And uh, and how they organize that front, I suspect, will look a lot different. And I think that um, they'll play maybe a little bit tighter. They'll play a lot of more traditional three, four stuff as opposed to what they were doing in this game um, where they were they were much more exotic in the way that they were deploying those fronts. And so I think that they want to. Maybe not two gap as much, right? They, they still want to be able to rush the passer on passing downs, but I think that they want to clog up those lanes and and uh, you know be biased in favor of making runs difficult or making scrambles difficult more than you know doing really classic penetration type stuff. You know, the, basically the way LSU handled Johnny Manziel, you know, all those years ago. Um, so I, I think that that's probably kind of the approach that they'll take there, and they'll they'll take the hit when it comes to the amount of pressure that they produce. Um, they only blitzed four times. I think that they had a, a blitz rate when bl- I mean by sent five plus rushers, right? Sometimes they drop some defensive linemen. You call that a blitz if you want when you when you send non um, pass rushers to rush the passer. But um, they only sent, you know, five or more four times. So 91 percent of their, their pass rushing snaps only involve four or fewer rushers. Um, I bet that'll change. I bet they'll blitz a little bit more often. Um, just to find ways to create pressure without sacrificing running lanes. And I think that that might be the approach that they end up taking. Now, I know you're you're big in the analytics side of, of the game. Uh, I'm big on the jersey analytics side of the game, which is if your jersey looks terrible, you're, you're not going to play really well. And mm-hmm. when I uh, tapped into 
seeing highlights and everything of uh, the Vikings and Packers game and seeing Dalvin Cook actually changed his number to number oh, four, I wanted yeah. to throw up because it looks absolutely terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know how I'm feeling about Dalvin Cook's uh, you know, projected season this year. He is on my fantasy team, so I want him to do well, but uh, the number four threw me for an absolute loop, and I Here's said, Dalvin, thing. what he are we doing? He looks faster in four than he does in 33. That's you got to take that into account. That's true. But he does look more, I guess, uh, bouncy and more, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. In 33, kind of being able to, you know, shift yeah. between the tackles and everything. Um, but I saw the four and I said, who is that? And then I realized it was Dalvin Cook. And I was like, oh, it was, no, he the did backup changed his number two. The backup changed to two. Oh, my gosh. Apropos, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was like, oh, wow, he actually went through with the thing that they were going to charge him boatloads of money to do last year. Right, yeah. So he just did it for free. That's yeah. Um, <laughs> what What do you uh, What do you think Dalvin's going to be able to do in this game knowing, you know, like we talked about with the Eagles, you know, front seven, and they actually have formidable linebackers this year for the first time, I think, That's in weird. my I lifetime. Don't. It's weird. I, I don't. I don't like that. Uh, like I think for the first time since like 2004, when like Jeremiah Trotter was on the team, this is the first time we've actually had good linebackers, but what do you think Dalvin's role will be in this game? And how do you think, you know, Kevin O'Connell will try to utilize him to at least try to take advantage of knowing that the Eagles front seven is formidable, could stop him from, you know, gaining yards on the ground. Do you think they'll use him in the passing game at all? Or do you think it'll, you know, be one of those things where they kind of try to change his run lanes a little bit? Uh, I think it'll be kind of a mix. I think what was really interesting to me in this game is that the Vikings played uh, gap style runs almost as when Dabble Cook was on the field almost as often as they did zone style runs, which threw me for a loop because they've been practicing zone, um, you know, almost all off season. Um, you know, the Rams are famously a, a zone team, so like it was it was really surprising um, that that's the approach that they went with, and I think that was just because you know they. The reason that a lot of teams have been switching to the Fangio-style defense or have been employing those kinds of fronts is because it's actually really good against zone running, especially um, the type of outside zone that the Rams run. And um, it really makes it difficult for you know your play side guard, you know, just by the way that you play your nose tackles and, and under tackles, the play side guard to get up to the second level and, and, and really secure things, just the way that they have those fronts set up. Um so the Vikings were just like, well, we don't like have to do that. We we can just <laughs> we we can just you know run power, and that place our guard is now a pulling guard, and now that defensive tackle has nothing to do, or is just kind of out of position in this way. Um, and so I think that that's going to be part of it is that they're going to uh, complicate those looks based off of how the Eagles decide to organize their front, which the Eagles I expect throughout the years probably going to be the most versatile front in the NFL in that regard, in terms of how often you see, uh, not just like four, three and three, four under or over or whatever, but just kind of seeing the multiplicity of, of, of unique fronts, like tight fronts, mint fronts, bare fronts, you know, whatever you want to call those, um, those interesting ones up front where you've got like three over three. Um, I, I expect the Eagles are going to do that. And I think that the Vikings might audible into and out of runs based off of the fronts that they see just so that they can get kind of the most advantage possible. Um, when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh, and then you'll have to see like, Hey, is, is my linebacker going to be, uh, or is my, is my guard going to be quick enough to take on Hassan Reddick? Right. Is, is the fact that TJ Edwards can recognize plays before they happen going to be a problem, right? Like, is that, you know, those kinds of questions will have to be answered during the game and they'll make those adjustments. And then I think outside of that, 
um, you know, being able to to get Dalvin Cook a little bit more involved in the passing game, that's been a goal of theirs and something that I think that they're going to commit to in a really big way. Um, I, I think that that's just going to be kind of another one. We'll, we'll see how this matchup goes. And if this matchup continues to be kind of profitable for us, we'll, we'll keep going after it. And if not, you know, we'll, we'll shut it down. But I think that that's something that they're just going to kind of experiment with and see if it works. I do find it interesting that you brought up Vic Fangio's name a couple times. Uh, he was with the Eagles in training camp, just visiting. I don't know why, but Dylan. it's like, hey, when, when Gannon gets gets out of town, hey, I'm taking his I'm, job. I'm, I'm free. I don't know if you know that. I'm free. I'm no longer mile high. <laughs> <laughs> and unlike the guy that replaced me, I can hack it. Um, oh, hey. <laughs> Who do you think is kind of going to be the X factor in this game for the Vikings if they are to, you know, go on and win on Monday night? And, you know, who do you think for the Eagles side of things from what you've been able to kind of, you know, pick apart, do you think will uh, be somebody that could give the Vikings some headaches and potentially cause them to lose their first game of the year? Um, I think on the Vikings side, it might be Dalvin Tomlinson. If we're going to avoid kind of the obvious ones, like the the pass rushers and Justin Jefferson and all that, um, I think it'll be Dalvin Tomlinson because his ability to kind of shut down the run um, and his newfound ability to rush the passer, I guess, kind of surprised me. Um, I think that's going to be really big in terms of um, making sure that the Eagles don't design an offense around the stuff that they want to do best, right? And so having Tomlinson either line up at defensive end, which, sure, it worked, so why not, right? I can't I can't knock it too much. Or having him line up at nose tackle or having him line up as a, as a four technique, whatever, Um his ability to kind of get in the backfield or squeeze rushing lanes or create uncomfortable situations, you wouldn't necessarily call it a pressure, but create an uncomfortable situation for the backfield, I think is going to be really critical for um, the Vikings. And he could end up coming away with only like one tackle in the game or something like that and still have ended up having a tremendous game just from his ability to kind of do those things. Like the Vikings have already gotten really good at doing stuff like recognizing when something is play action, when something is a screen, you know, all that, which is really fantastic given kind of the veterans that they have up front, but they still need to win those matchups even when they do recognize that. And Dalvin Tomlinson was, um, frankly, to me, I thought he was just a, had a remarkable game. I don't think he had that many tackles in this game. So I think he is going to be an X factor in that regard, especially against a, a, a team that wants to run the ball a little bit more. So um, on that side of the ball, on the Eagles side of the ball, you know, I, it, it's tough for me because I just feel like the obvious ones, are the only ones, right? Which is not to kind of shut down some of the more underrated players in the Eagles, but it's like either you know this name and you know this name because they matter, or you don't know this name and you don't know this name because we kind of got a lot of questions about them, right? Like, and so uh, it's really tough for me to pick an X factor. I guess, um, no, nah, I'd be reaching if I said Quez Watkins. Let's let's do, <laughs> let's do. I like that do, though. <laughs> let's do Boston Scott. Let's do Boston Scott. Um let, let, let's get somebody who's got a little bit of everything going for him, um, who's, who can be kind of a, uh, I, I don't know if change of pace is the right word, right? Because like everyone kind of knows who he is and the Eagles tend to have like a cadre of running backs that can do a lot of different things at once. So I don't want to say that like he is a complete change of pace, but I mean, like he ran a four, four, he seems to actually be faster than a four, four guy. Um, Jordan Hicks is not who he was when he played with the Eagles and it's been tough for the Vikings to, to win on the perimeter. So if Boston Scott has a big game, I think that that's going to be a huge issue for the Vikings because 
it'll mean that they haven't been able to shut down the perimeter. It'll mean that they can't match up against uh, running backs that are that are running wheel routes or anything like that. It'll mean that they just can't deal with that kind of speed when they have so many you know rush lanes that they have to account for. So I'm going to go with Boston Scott. Plus, plus, when he has big games, it's like fun. Like yeah. I just, <laughs> he's doing like the head dances in the end zone and everything. Right. He's like five which foot he, eight. Which he we had like a goal line carry last week, right? What was yeah. up with that? It's just a vulture of a touchdown. <laughs> I, I want to know if anybody out in the universe parlayed Jalen Hurts, Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell, and Miles Sanders to score a touchdown last week because I feel like they would have bankrupt any sports book if they did that. Oh, um, yeah. Because oh, Miles Sanders God, yeah. hadn't scored a touchdown since December 27, 2020 until last week, which is oh, insane. Absolutely insane. The famous uh, Cowboys Ben DiNucci game. Uh, was hey, the last time Miles Sanders scored. All right. <laughs> a submarine pitcher on the field. Absolutely insane. Yeah, him and Matt Stafford. <laughs> uh, I've incorporated something on this show since the last time you were on. I always ask our guests just a fun, quirky question poised around, you know, the team that they cover and, and things they do. And obviously, you're on the Norse Code podcast. So if you uh, had to pick uh, a member or two of the Minnesota Vikings to actually write the actual Norse Code, uh, who do you think would write it the best and why? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I assume by the Norse Code, you mean like a set of guidelines or rules rather than like a cryptographic... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, man. Okay. So I think the classic answer would probably be somebody like uh, Eric Kendricks, maybe Harrison Smith. Um, I think a lot of people would go Adam Thielen. I think he's a little bit spicier than people realize. Um, but um, I know who I don't want the answer to be. The, I, the answer should not be Kirk Cousins. I think that Correct. everyone kind of, right. Like that's, um, I guess if we want to like embody both the Vikings, the team and the Vikings, like the ethos of, of Norse men, um, gosh, uh, I guess probably Harrison Smith, I think is, is probably the best one, right? Not only does he have the aesthetic and the haircut and all that, um, he really kind of embodies like, uh, potentially toxic, uh, do your job, be quiet about it attitude. <laughs> That, that seems to like fill the our our conception of of a Viking, right? Um, you know, maybe it's not healthy from a mental health perspective to to do that, but I mean, in terms of the way that we think about Vikings, yeah, certainly he seems to have it. Plus, I mean, he still hits like a train, right? I feel like that that's got to be part of the the attitude that you're bringing into it, right? Like, um, you know, you do it right, you're Harrison Smith. You do it wrong, you're Andrew Sandejo, right? Like, there is. You know, his corpse uh, is still at Lincoln Financial Field from 2017. <laughs> relax, relax. <laughs> Vikings have a winning record against the Eagles since then. I think so. They might. <laughs> they won when it mattered. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's true. That's true. <laughs> Plus, if has, Kirk has Cousins that, has, anyone, has anyone else put the Rocky statue in a different team's uniform, or has it just been Vikings fans? That's a good question. There's been teams that have, there was definitely someone else that did it. And okay. everyone always pulls up that, that group of Vikings fans. That was really right. like 25 people that they made it look like 2000 with their drone. Um, and says like, Hey, look what happened the last time someone did this. Pro Propaganda is an art, man. <laughs> yeah. It's all gotta, about perspective. Yeah. <laughs> In a literal sense. <laughs> 
Plus, no, I, mean... I, I, I think that I think the Vikings fans should do it again, right? Because either you know they do it and they win the game and you just washes kind of the 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 karmic retribution, or they do it and you lose the game and then there's this really cool piece of lore for the city of Philadelphia to have, right? Yes. Like I, I that just it feels right. Yeah, and I could see somebody doing it, just be like, "Hey, look, we're doing it again." Right? Yeah, it just it's just it's 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 like a fun little way to attach the team to the the sport to the fictional hero that I guess Philadelphia has. <laughs> hey, we love Sylvester Stallone. What can we say? <laughs> and even you know, to go back to us not wanting Kirk Cousins writing the the literal Norse code, I think the only words that would be written in there would be if we die, we die. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very Viking esque. Right. So if you write it down you to call it the Norse code, that sounds really hard, right? That sounds so cool. But like for Kirk Cousins, it's like, yeah, I guess I'll die. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like it was not meant as like this really hardcore, like I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna need I'm gonna do what needs to be done. And if I'm dead, I'm dead. But I did what needs to be done. And for Kirk Cousins, it's like, I'm not going to get vaccinated. <laughs> Just put me in a plexiglass box. Yeah. I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah. I'll do, I'll do anything for this team. Except. Not that. Not that. Hey, him and Carson Wentz have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> Salt of the earth. Oh, just, just grit, guys. Pure grit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, Arif. Let everybody know where they can check your stuff out at The Athletic, follow you on social media, and uh, check out your podcast as well. Yeah, um, so you can find me at The Athletic, theathletic.com slash author slash Arif Hassan. I'm going to have a piece attempting to preview the game, try to predict what the Vikings will do, both on offense and defense, up soon, hopefully Thursday morning, but I take a long time to write things. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. I'm not really on any other social um, and you can find my podcast. I'm on the Minnesota football party with lockdown Minnesota sports, as well as you mentioned Norse code, um, which, uh, you know, the lockdown Minnesota sports one is like round table. We mostly just discuss the Vikings. Norse code is a lot of Vikings and a lot more, uh, I guess, time for depth because we don't have like standards or professionalism. And then uh, a bunch of stuff after that, which has nothing to do with sometimes even football. Uh, we, we talk about beekeeping, food, travel, parenting i don't have kids but they always ask me for parenting advice so you know that's incredible yeah <laughs> it's all hogwash i encourage you to listen to it and it was great seeing you log on and you're no longer a hexagon <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the hexagon arc uh <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a former hexagon um I, I guess my current thing is not a psyop which I, I feel like i get a lot of questions i get more questions now that i say i'm not a psyop than it's on the shirt, man. What do you Why mean you by that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're done with hexagons. Hexagons are over. Uh, circle profiles are back in, um, and uh, <laughs> and and I'm probably going to change it like next week. So, and I think the board ape, the board apes are uh, at the bottom of the ocean with the uh, the Viking oh, yeah. ships. <laughs> yeah, all all the apes gone. We've at least dug up some Viking ships. Like that's, that's true. Yeah, so to the to Vikings long chips one board ape zero. <laughs> no perfect way to end it there. Appreciate yeah. you coming on a reef and uh, Monday night's gonna be an absolute blast. I'm sure we'll be talking about Three it on Twitter. So absolutely, man.
Big thank you to the homie Arif Hassan for hopping on the podcast this week. That might go down as a Hall of Fame podcast episode in our company's history. It was an absolute blast. So many fun jokes. So much, uh, so much to to unpack in an episode with Arif. We always uh, have a blast chopping it up during Eagles Vikings week, and that was just an all time episode that I think I'll remember for quite some time. So make sure you guys are following us at Underground PHI Twitter. Instagram, follow a reef, make sure you're checking out everything he's doing, covering the Minnesota Vikings, get an Eagles enemies perspective from a reef all week long, leading into Monday night football and uh, subscribe to the underground sports, Philadelphia podcast feed, Apple podcast, Spotify, leave those five-star ratings and reviews. It goes a long way with helping more people find the show, come underground and enjoy the content. We are pumping out for the people. And subscribe to the Underground Sports Philadelphia YouTube channel. You get full video episodes, like I said at the top of the show, of Eagles Enemies and every Underground Sports Philadelphia podcast on our YouTube channel. So smash that subscribe button, click the like button, ring the bell icon, comment down below your predictions for this matchup. And uh, Monday night is going to be an absolute doozy of a game. Eagles Vikings. Something's got to give, like we said in the episode. Kirk Cousins, 2-9 and nine on Monday Night Football in his career. And the Eagles, since 2016, have not won a Week 2 matchup on their schedule. So one of those things is going to continue, and hopefully it's Kirk Cousins dropping a 2-10 and 10 on Monday Night Football. But this has been another episode of Eagles Enemies, presented by Underground Sports Philadelphia. Big thank you again to my buddy Arif Hassan for hopping on the show this week. Monday night, let's have ourselves a game. And until next week, it's always Go Birds. Go Birds.